Welcome to the Murthy teleconference series designed to benefit employers of foreign nationals. We would like to take this opportunity to remind you that the information you're about to receive is exclusive copyrighted material of the Murthy Law Firm. Accordingly, any unauthorized recording is prohibited by law and cannot be disseminated without our prior written permission. Without further ado, it is our pleasure and honor to introduce attorney Sheila Murthy. Welcome, I'm Sheila Murthy. President and CEO at the Murthy Law Firm. I have with me my brilliant colleagues, Anna Stepanova, who is also a member of the Murthy Law Firm, and Kevin Andrews, who is the attorney supervising and coordinating the work in the non-immigrant department here at the Murthy Law Firm. So our topic for today is the STEM optional practical training or OPT extensions and the new rules that are applicable in that arena. As many of you are already aware that starting from May 10th of this year, 2016, the new 24-month STEM OPT extension rule is going into effect and it replaces the old 17-month STEM OPT extension rule but it also adds additional obligations for employers, including the employers having to implement a formal training program for F1 students who are working on the 24-month STEM OPT extension, as well as other reporting requirements. So Anna and I, uh, Kevin are going to get into the details, but so let's just go give you a quick summary overview of what we're going to discuss uh, over the next 30 to 45 minutes with each of you on this conference call offered to you by the Murthy Law Firm. Uh, obviously, we're going to touch upon the 24-month time frame that instead of the old rule of only one STEM OPT extension, you have two lifetime STEM extensions and a STEM uh, uh, that's potentially based on a prior degree, the STEM extension based on a pri even a prior degree. The types of eligible employment are now more restrictive in terms of being connected directly to your subject or field of study. The, there's a new wage requirement. There are reporting requirements for both the employer and the F1 student. And there's an additional 60 days as opposed to 30 days of unemployment maximum during the STEM extension. The training program on form uh, requires completion of form I-983. And um, the last two points that we're going to touch upon is travel with the pending STEM OPT when there's a cap gap after the expiration of the first year of OPT, which they have now clarified those rules and expanded the list of STEM degrees. So with that, I'm going to have Anna jump in and explain to us the big overarching theme, which is, uh, which is great news for both foreign nationals and their employers, especially with the uh, uh, you know, H-1B cap having been met in the first few days of the fiscal year. What is this issue about the two lifetime STEM extension, the rule, and uh, the previous degree issue? Uh, yes, thank you, Sheila. This is one of the most exciting um, new elements of the new rule. As of, uh, Right now, as uh, all of you probably know, you can only get one 17-month extension. USCIS not only expanded it to 24 months, but um, they now allow students to do two STEM extensions. So when can you do a second STEM extension? One thing to remember is that they cannot be consecutive. What does it mean? Well, it means that the second STEM extension should follow a second 12 months OPT 
based on a degree at a level higher than the degree which was the basis for the first sequence of 12 months of PT and STEM extension. In other words, a student can do one degree, 12 months of PT plus STEM, then they can do another degree, and they can do uh, at a higher level, and they can do another sequence of 12 months of PT and STEM extension. So that will give students uh, six years of OPT potential. And uh, as I said, they cannot be uh, consecutive. So they do have to relate to a STEM degree, and then, um, you, you know, the, the STEM degree cannot uh, be, the, the, I'm sorry, the, the STEM OPT uh, may, be, may follow the 12 months OPT, but it may not necessarily relate back to the degree uh, that led to the 12 months OPT immediately preceding it. Yeah, and I think that part is really kind of interesting, which uh, what you're talking about, I think, with getting the STEM OPT extension now, but based on a previous degree that was obtained. So this new rule does allow for individuals who got a STEM degree based uh, in the past, within the last 10 years, at a U.S. institution of higher learning that is accredited. Uh, such an individual, if they did not use the STEM OPT at the time and just use regular OPT, they may be able to now take advantage of that STEM OPT, but the job would need to be directly related to that, that, that previous degree. So let, let me just give an example. So imagine there's an F1 student currently working on OPT right now, the standard 12-month OPT, based on a non-STEM degree, like an MBA. And let's say that, that individual, that employee previously in the last 10 years obtained a bachelor's degree in computer science, you know, very clearly a STEM degree. Let's say in 2013 the individual got a STEM degree in computer science. That employee could, who's currently working on OPT in a position that would be related to the MBA program, that individual can now apply for a 24-month STEM OPT extension based on that 2013 bachelor's degree. The, the key there, though, is that the, the work, the employment, does need to be directly related to that bachelor's degree, that STEM degree. And there's some reporting uh, and compliance requirements involving the student, the DSO, the designated student uh, uh, official, at the, the bachelor's degree program institution. So I can imagine that can create some, some problems when you're going back years later asking for information to help get this STEM OPT extension validated. Okay, good points. So let's go jump to the next topic, which is the what types of employment can the student engage in during the STEM OPT employment? Obviously, as we all know, the intent of the new role is to enhance the educational benefit and increase the program oversight, including safeguards to protect U.S. workers. That's what the Department of Labor and USCIS have believed. And so there needs to be the employer-employee re relationship very similar to the specialty occupation that many of you have seen in your RFEs and hopefully not in your denials, but that you might have noticed as employers. And so they're trying to bring that same concept into this STEM uh, OPT extension. So Anna, where exactly does that line, what happens with that blur of the line? Well, one of the important results of this stated intent um, that is the basis uh, of the new rule is that volunteering <laughs> under STEM OPT extension is no longer permitted. 
DHS spoke in its preamble to the new rule, and uh, I'm going to read from the preamble because it's an important line for everybody to understand. They said that DHS is concerned that allowing volunteering would increase the potential for abuse on the part of international students who may accept volunteer positions for no reason other than a desire to extend their time in the U.S. So they spoke loudly and clear, and uh, volunteering under STEM OPT is no longer possible. So if you have uh, employees who are looking to do that, that's not that's now actually prohibited under the new rule. Hmm. Anna, just to clarify, um, are you still able to volunteer? Are you able to volunteer under regular OPT? Under regular OPT, yes, it's still uh, one of the permissible types of employment. That's correct. Do you think there might have been an oversight when they missed it in one, or they might go back and clean it up even in the regular 12-month OPT? Well, the STEM OPT has different objectives, so uh, it's going to remain to be seen, but I doubt that they will hmm. do it in, in <clears throat> the near future. But I, I, I'd like to be right, but <laughs> it's possible that they will go back. So, Kevin, what are the kinds of relationships that are scrutinized very heavily by the USCIS as being potentially fraudulent or improper in some way? Right, Sheila. I think what, what we can take away from in the STEM OPT extension context is that consulting companies, employment, uh, temp agency employers, sole proprietorships, and uh, employers who off that are that that provide consulting services, they're going to be scrutinized with a little bit higher, uh, for more evidence, more so than employment that is involving a direct employment relationship where the employer-employee relationship is very clear. So the issues that you would see that you've seen in H-1B RFEs for companies that are engaged in that kind of business model, I think that that kind of fact pattern is going to be something that's relevant for OPT extension as well, and it's something to make sure to continue to be able to document that valid bona fide employer-employee relationship between the student worker and the employer. So the bottom line, Kevin, I think it's becoming more and more clear that it's looking like an H-1B relationship. So a lot of, uh, you mentioned employee-employee kind of relationship. It was kind of annoying when USCIS was adding additional onerous burdens on employers. And now to make this whole F1 OPT STEM extension become almost like a continuation of that process. I guess the good news is maybe they're trying to help with because of the quota being extended. They're giving this as these additional two-year bonus, that extra 24 months. but that, That's correct. It's mm. like H-1B with a training component. Hmm. Okay. So I guess you as employers should really take advantage of using it in that process and figure out that if you can make this work smoothly, then the transition to H-1 may be much easier for you all. Okay. So next, let's jump to the topic of the wage requirement for employers. As you know, until now, we've really had no wage, minimum mandates, minimum wage, prevailing wage, nothing, nothing before. Uh, but now there's a new wage requirement for employers using the STEM OPT. But clearly the, uh, the rules have said that the comp compensation must be commensurate with similarly situated employees. And they've also clarified, obviously, <coughs> that it does not include no compensation. Kevin? Yeah, that's a good point, Sheila. Um, so commen it, it, they're talking about commensurate compensation. There's no prevailing wage requirement, as you mentioned. So uh, what they have mentioned in the rule is that for startups, for small companies, that alternative compensation may be allowed 
for STEM OPT extension as long as that F1 student can show that he or she is a bona fide employee and that his or her compensation, including ownership interest in the in the company, like stock options, is commensurate with the compensation provided to other similarly situated workers. I think that's the key term there, that it's commensurate to uh, commensurate compensation to similarly similarly situated workers. Um, So there is some flexibility there. It's just uh, something else that I think requires some additional consideration compared to the previous requirement, which was no wage requirement at all. So good practice tip uh, as a result of that is when uh, employers are determining what wages they have to pay a student employee, they will probably... Uh, or they should probably use the same methodology as they do for H&B workers. So they uh, they can go to the uh, ONET library and uh, use uh, d- their uh, prevailing wage or actual wage uh, that they pay to workers similarly situated. However, this is a question that the DHS has not addressed. Uh, the uh, uh, students who are working on STEM extension, they are in training, and that's what the purpose of the rule is. So how do you pay employees similarly situated who are not regular employees but are just trainees? And this is something that the employers are encouraged to think about when they are making a determination of the wages that they um, must pay to that worker. It's interesting. You're almost making it sound like we might want to, again, look at the prevailing wage issue, even though clearly there's no DOL type of prevailing wage like in the H-1 context, because if stock options are allowed and no other form of payment because all of your in a brand new startup company, for example, you can use the EAD to do stock option payments, then there won't be any kind of prevailing wage determination, nothing in the ONET, none of those other things will apply. I guess a lot might decide, I I guess we'll have to determine how this is going to play out. But for now, we think there's a lot more flexibility than with like an H-1B situation where payment by stock option is clearly cannot be the sole method of payment. But we are hoping that there's a much broader interpretation for F1 STEM uh, extension OPTs. But I guess time will tell and we'll see what they're going to do as they continue to tweak and look at this issue based on cases and examples. Yeah, we'll probably know more in the months, you know, and, coming, and ahead. coming ahead. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so the next topic that we want to jump is the issue that many of you are aware of that the new rule em- emphasizes the importance of providing professional training opportunities to the students as opposed to regular employment um, so that the employers are required now to develop a specific training program. And so the employers are required as a part of their basic training plan, which they can base on any existing training program that they may already have in place. So the Department of Homeland Security or DHS will require that they complete together with the student the form I-983, which you're going to get used to if you're hiring F1 OPD students, because that contains the description of the training with the specific goals and benchmarks that you as employers will have to create for hiring F1 STEM OPD extensions to students as well as the manner of supervision and mentorship. They want to make sure that it's a structured, proper training program with everybody signing off on it. Very similar to what we've done before for those of you who worked with us at the Murthy Law Firm to the H3 and the J1 trainee programs. 
The Form I-983 also contains specific compliance attestations, which must be signed and submitted to the designated school official or DSO prior to the DSO being able to recommend the 24-month extension in CVIS and issue of formed I-20 to be used by the student when applying for OPT. Yes, Sheila, the, you know, the form I-983, it's a, it's a brand new form and it, it's kind of interesting because the F-1 OPT, STEM OPT extension and the use of the for, form I-983 is kind of a lot like H-1B and the need to use in form I-129 in that there are specific attestations and potentially... Or more than the I-129, is it more like the LCA? Or LCA, the but LCA. The atti- there are attestations that the employer is making in both. So yeah, mm-hmm. kind of like the LCA okay. as well. Mm-hmm. But the point is about the attestations and, you know, a question of liability and, and obligations when it comes to compliance. You have to submit this form I-983 to the DSO for the OPT to to be eligible for the OPT, but it is something that the employer and employee need to work together. Let, let's just go through the attestations so the employers understand what it is that they're actually getting themselves into and involved in so that they can make a decision about whether even to really participate in this uh, new STEM OPT rule. The first attestation is that you the employer is attesting that it has sufficient resources and trained personnel available to provide the appropriate training in connection with the specified opportunity. They are also attesting to having the student on, uh, that the student that is working on STEM STEM OPT extension will not replace a full or part-time temporary or permanent U.S. worker. So there's some displacement language, kind of like in the LCA. And then also that the opportunity helps the student attain his or her training objectives. So this emphasis on this employment as training uh, is, I think, the, the main fundamental shift and s- how employers and employees need to look at OPT extensions. Okay. So, Kevin, you just said that um, the uh, student will submit this form to the DSO. So now the question that our listeners may have is how USCS is going to make sure that they adhere to the plan. So one of the things that USCS said is that they reserve the right to conduct site visits to assure compliance. And regular scheduled site visits require a uh, 48-hour notice. So the employers are going to be notified at least uh, 48 hours before USCIS shows up on their website, uh, on their, I'm sorry, on their (laughs) work site. Um, But they may conduct surprise site visits if they have information of a possible violation. So... Uh, we think uh, that uh, during the first months after May 10th, when USCIS starts getting this 24 months OPT STEM extension applications, they will probably be issuing a lot of requests for evidence for a copy of the Form I-983. So be ready for that. And uh, it would be good practice to keep a copy in your in the um, in in your in file, each employee's in each employee's them. file, and that's a, that's also a good practice tip. Uh, how do you prepare for getting the training plan together for making sure that you adhere to all of the requirements? Well, maybe what you need to do is to designate a specific employee who will be in charge of the program and who will develop their training or your training program. And um, you need to think about your internal guidelines and what type of documentation you should keep and uh, what you will be able to present to USCS in case of a site visit. Okay. Thank you, Anna.
also so, just want to mention yeah. just real quick uh, mm-hmm. on the topic of site visits. We've talked about them in the past, and they can come up in a lot of diff- other different contexts. Another just pointer to remind folks here right now is to make sure that there is a um, – in the event of a site visit, that there's somebody who understands that they're responsible for meeting that person, getting that person's business card, and that there's a point of contact that's uh, prepared in the event that a government official visits and people aren't just scrambling, uh, you know, scrambling trying to find somebody to, <laughs> to meet with the government official. It almost sounds like they've hired so many of these FDNS agents and all of these other inspectors that they have to keep them busy with more and more onerous rules. It's kind of annoying sometimes. Site visits are on the rise. The program started in 2013. There's been like 100,000 site visits since then, and it's on the rise. And So that's with the H-1B program, and this is sounding a little bit like the H-1B and also like a Department of Labor audit in a labor certification case where they say, show me the other resumes of the people who applied. Sort of here they're saying, well, we have the right to ask you for giving me a copy of the Form I-983, or we can look at whether you really have a good training program set up. So it's a little bit of the H-1B or the DOL audits like this crazy in-between creature they're really trying to pave the way and saying if you are going to give you this additional time we're almost going to make you jump through some of the preliminary hoops like you're going through an h1 or green card process so let's jump to the next topic which is the new reporting requirements under the rules kevin uh so the new reporting requirements there one one requirement is something that kind of that was in place just maybe not enforced heavily, which is the six-month validation requirement. This is where the student must confirm to the DSO their biographical, residential, and employment information every six months, period, no matter what, even if there's no change. Uh, so again, this is it's not a new requirement. It seems like something that will be more consistently followed and adhered to, so uh, we, people should act accordingly. Wait, so, <coughs> so this is going to continue for 24 months, but it's every six months they just... The rule always existed and was never followed, meaning the students always every six months just had to file a notice or a form like the AR-11 for people. What, is there a form? According to the internal guidelines or and specific requirements that each school has, they, prob- they were supposed to instruct the student to get back to them every six months just to be sure uh, that the student is still working. If they changed employees, that would be a good opportunity for the student to notify the DSO of the new employer uh, and and so on. So these, this is the change that did not require, never required the form. And this is, a, this is something that doesn't require a form now, as we understand it. However, there are some new reporting requirements that do require filing of the form I-983, which is the same one that is filed initially with the TSO even before the student applies for the STEM extension. So this form is also used for self-evaluations by the student, and they are done annually. So at the end of the first year, the student uh, will self uh, provide self-evaluation, which will be signed off um, on by the employer and this is going to be on form I-983 and will be sent to the DSO. The same um, the, the same form will be completed again at the end of the uh, 24 months OPT, second year. Then um, uh, the, the same form is going to be used by student and employer together if uh, there are changes in employment status. So, for example, if uh, the wages go below um, what was uh, specified in the initial I-983 or 
maybe above it or if the location changes or if something else changes. And then um, the student and employer will report uh, all of the material changes. Again, those are something that has not been on the initial form I-983. Also, employers will have to report terminations and resignations, and this, the time period during which they will have to comply with this requirement has increased from two days to five business days. God, this is like still pretty tight. So if, an if you as an employer of a small business is traveling outside the country or you're busy and you're in charge of a lot of the immigration paperwork, this is a huge burden because if somebody has quit on you, has either been terminated or resigned in your absence or doesn't show up or even doesn't just show up to work from the fifth day, you're supposed to notify the government of this uh, notified, the, the employer must report that termination or resignation. Yeah, only five days. And that's all you have. So it's pretty tight. And so you really need to be, on the one hand, I think all of us were so excited when we heard about this increase from 17 months to 24 months thinking yippee, yay, with all the H1 cap and quota come, being met early. And then when you jump through the hoops and see how much, how much more owners they're making it, you're beginning to sort of scream with jump with with joy a little bit less. So the next topic that we're going to talk about briefly about is the transition as we just touched upon which is from 17 months as you know it's been increased to 24 months the STEM extension the STEM OPT extension and so you have two different groups of students that may have a transitional kind of issues to deal with as these new rules take effect from May 10th 2016 onwards in the next week or so. So the f first are the students who have already applied to the USCIS for the initial 17 month of STEM OPT extension. But if their applications are still pending as of May the, the 10th, then uh, th that's one, one set of students that Kevin will talk about. So in this case, if a student's EAD expires before May 10th, then they should apply for the 17-month STEM extension and wait for an RFE. And then the second set, which Anna is going to describe, is students who have already have an approved 17-month STEM extension, but they are now interested in the possible seven-month extension under the new rule for the full 24 months. So, Kevin, can I have you start the process? Sure. Yeah, so the, these transition issues here are, are relevant for employers and, and, and the employees as well. So, begin, as we know, beginning May 10th, that's when the new rule changes, and USCIS will start to adjudicate all STEM OPT applications they receive, or that they have, rather, under the standards of this new rule. So, the training program and everything that we've been talking about so far will uh, apply. And, of course, if you filed for the STEM OPT extension under the 17-month rule, you didn't include a Form 983 since it didn't exist, USCIS is going to send an RFE to applicants who filed for the 17-month STEM OPT extension and uh, if they're still pending as of May 10th. The RFE is going to, quote, request documentation that will establish the student is eligible for the 24-month OPT extension under the final rule. And that's going to include a new Form I-20 endorsed by the DSO, which has to be endorsed after May 10th when the new rule takes place, recommending the 24-month OPT extension. It's also going to require that completed Form I-983 training plan that needs to be uh, completed, developed and completed together with the employer. And any other documentation to establish the requirements for the STEM OPT extension uh, under the standards of the new rule have been met. 
So those students who have their applications still pending as of May 10th will have no choice but to either comply with the 24-month extension rule or withdraw their applications. However, for students whose uh, STEM OPT applications have already been approved before May 10th, they may have a choice and they will have two options. So option number one is to continue in the 17-month period until it ends and choose not to apply for uh, the additional seven uh, months to get it to the 24 months extension. And that's choice number one. And that's also your choice as employers, because as employers, you may not necessarily want to comply with the 24 months rule. That's that's your option, that's still available to you. And in that case, the student should just go on and complete their 17 months OPT, and you will not be required to complete um, the uh, f the new form and to comply with all of the new requirements. However, there is still option two, which may be available, but not to everybody. So there are some conditions, uh, some terms that the student will have to qualify based on. And this option will allow students to apply for the extra seven months. So what do you need to to have in order to be eligible for this option. So you need to file a properly file form 765 with USCIS on or after May 10th, but before August 8th, 2016. This is the filing period. After August 8th, this option is no longer be, um, will no longer be available. And you have to do it within 60 days of the date the DSO enters the recommendation for the 24 months OPT extension. And um, it will have to be endorsed on or after May 10th, 2016. It will contain a recommendation for the student for a 24 months OPT extension. And it will also have to uh, have a signed form I-983 mentoring and training plan that we just discussed in detail. What else? Well, the student will have to have at least 150 calendar days remaining prior to the end of his or her 17 months OPT extension at the time that he or she files form I-765 for the seven uh, extra months. And that's an important rule because if the student doesn't have those 150 days, then they're out of luck, so they have to uh, keep working on their 17 months extension and they will not be eligible for the extra seven months. Mm. So if students meet all of those requirements, they will have an option to file a new application which will extend their 17 months uh, STEM extension, which has already been approved, to 24 months by seven months. Oh my God, this is sounds, it sounds so complicated and convoluted, but don't worry. We have written articles about this on the multi bulletin and multi.com website. So you're welcome to certainly use that if you're having especially a whole bunch of F1 OPT students joining, or even if it's one student, you want to follow the, 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 the strict requirements. And as Anna just pointed out, some people may not even be eligible if you don't fall within that correct window of opportunity to be eligible for that additional uh, seven extra months. So whether or not the 17-month STEM OPT is extended for the additional seven months, remember that it will count that whole time period for 24 months, 17 plus seven, will count as one period of STEM OPT. And then by law, the student is now, because of the new rules, eligible for one more lifetime period of STEM OPT eligibility after completing a future higher degree, even if it's based on the prior degree 
um, the original degree. Right. So some people might get shorter the seven months uh, in, during this transition. It sounds okay. Like. Um, I think one thing also to mention there, you know, there might be a small population of people this may affect, but students who are on 12-month OPT right now, whose OPT is going to expire before May 10th. So I, maybe, hopefully, with the the this new rule, people were not waiting to file for those extensions, and that anybody who has a OPT expiring before then are taking the steps to apply for the extension. You can apply for the OPT extension within 180 days of the expiration of the current OPT, um, and individuals who are who fall into this category should definitely apply for the STEM OPT extension even before May 10th, 2016, as long as it's before the expiration of your the current EAD card, the current OPT. Uh, Kevin, in practical terms, uh, May 10th becomes May 13th because DHS has indicated that uh, DSOs will only be able to recommend 24 months OPT starting May 13th. So be careful. If a student has an EAD for the 12 months OPT that is ending on or before May 13th, that's for practical purposes, even though the rule goes into effect on May 10th, then they will uh, need to apply for the 17-month extension and just simply wait for the RFE. Right. So I guess the, the short answer really is do not wait for the rule to take effect if your OPT is expiring before then and you have any intention of applying for an, a STEM OPT extension. Okay. Thank you. So, we're, as I said, we're always cognizant of the time that we that you invest in understanding the latest changes that happen in immigration law, and we try to do the 30 to 45 minutes, so we'll try to wrap up in the next three, four minutes. Uh, so, to try to recap, uh, employers are subject to a new set of requirements, which the USCIS has indicated it will monitor very closely, and these include developing a training plan and maintaining its administration, reporting terminations to the designated school official at the university where the student studied, reporting material changes to that DSO, conducting evaluations of the student, making sure the student's work hours, compensation, and work location comply with the requirements, and that there's potential risk of a site visit at some point, and that you're attesting to compliance and that you will adhere to the training program. So it's a lot of little stuff. If it's too much and overwhelming, don't worry. Uh, you're always welcome to consult with one of us here at the Multi Law Firm. We've written free articles that you're welcome to take advantage of as employers. It's part of our community service, um, as, as are these teleconferences that we do to, do to continue to help you to succeed and thrive in a constantly changing environment. So on behalf of Anna Stepanova at Kevin Andrews, myself, Sheila Murthy, and our entire Murthy Law Firm team, we thank you for investing your time to understand the new rules for STEM OPT extensions. And we wish you a wonderful summer and look forward to continuing to take good care of you and your business as you need any immigration-related issues or questions. Have a great day. Thank you.